Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Yikes, I said. We're in the midst of this sermon series on difficult teachings of Jesus, on hard words that he offers to us, and I don't know about you. But this parable of the dishonest manager has always gotten my goat. It's just like, what in the world? How can you say, as the owner, you've been cheating me all this time, and, and now when you cheat me some more, or so it would seem, you're going to praise him. Somehow it seems reckless, and you... We'll notice that the title of the sermon, which isn't up there, has been changed to reckless because it seems to me uh, that the manager is reckless and the owner is reckless. And in some ways, we even want to say God is just reckless because this is just, this makes no exactly sense at all. 
And if we want to begin to figure out what is going on in this difficult text, the first thing we always have to remember is that God's ways are not our ways. You know, the way God sees the world in situations isn't always the way that you and I have been shaped and formed to see the world. You know, so we want to say, hey, if I think this is the fair thing, then God must think this is the fair thing too. But we can't see the world the way God sees the world. Beware the person who likes to go around and say, you know, that person is going to hell. Oh, yeah, you are God. Are you sure that you know? Uh, I mean, after all, God might save everyone because... You know, after all, nothing is impossible for God. So we always have to be a little bit humble before a text and remember that God's ways are not always our ways. And maybe there is more at work in the kingdom of God than we are currently aware of, which is why we always want to say, you know, send your spirit, Lord, and illuminate my heart and mind to understand what you are saying. But then, if we want to really open up this text and figure out what's going on, then the second thing is this. Our ways in the 21st century are not the ways of the 1st century. And if we're just reading through our 21st century minds, we're probably missing something really important in this text. And in fact, we are. You know, we live in the midst of this capitalistic system, and we're all shaped by how the economic system works. But they didn't know anything of this kind of system in the first century. And so if you're someone who is in need, you know, you would go to the rich man, and you would borrow whatever you need. Now, the manager whose job it is to really run the estate of this rich man, the way he makes his commission in the first century is that when they borrow oil or wheat, he adds to the bill. That's his commission. And so what's probably been happening in this story is he's charging an exorbitant commission of these poor people. So in fact, when he goes out to them and says, hey, you know, your bill is 100, make it 50. Your bill is 100, make it 80. He's just likely removing the commission he shouldn't have put on in the first place. Now, if we know that about the first century, then when the owner says, good job, man, you can begin to understand that the praise is not as weird as we would think, right? That here are these people who've been charged interest that they really can't afford. You and I, we can go out and we can check the credit card interest and get the lower rate. We can pay off the principal early and not pay the interest. These people didn't have, they were over a barrel. And if the owner is a good Jew, which we would presume Jesus is saying he is, he would know the law. And the law says that you can't charge 
and exorbitant interest. The law says you need to care for the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the poor, and obviously the manager was only caring for himself. And now the manager has actually done something that is of benefit to the poor people, and for that the owner could also praise him. Okay, now I hear you. Yeah, but he did it for himself, right? So the manager says, I'm going to write down your bill because then, guess what? You will welcome me, you like me, you'll welcome me into your home. She'll take care of me when I've been fired. Here's the thing. We never know the motivations of another human's heart. We can always look at someone and, you know, you have to ask, are they doing it out of their love of God or are they doing it because they want praise and honor and glory or whatever? I mean, someone wins volunteer of the year and you say, gosh, how great that they give all that time and energy. You don't know, maybe they did it to be volunteer of the year. But here's the thing, it doesn't erase the good that was done. And how does God weigh the intentions of the human heart versus the good that was done? Again, God's ways are not our ways, but the manager, for the first time apparently, has done good for these people. And so, if you understand the ways of the first century, you're like, well, maybe there's good reason that the owner is congratulating him on what he's done. Maybe for the first time, he's done something that has helped another person. Okay, yeah, we get that. It's probably still not that satisfying for us. And so, here's the next thing that we have to do if we really want to figure out this text. And it's what biblical scholars might call a sandwich. Now, think of the parable of the dishonest manager as the meat. There are two slices of bread that are holding it together. In other words, you know, when, these, when the Bible was originally written, there wasn't chapter and verse. There weren't the headings that we have in our Bible today. And so what this does sometimes for us is think, oh, we've got the complete picture in this one story, when in fact, if you don't look at what comes around this story, you will never figure it out. And in fact, this parable of the dishonest manager comes in a string of parables that Jesus is telling. I invite you to go back this week and look at it. The first slice of bread, the parable that comes before, is the parable of the prodigal son, which you and I think of as representing God's great forgiveness. But here's the thing, in that parable of the prodigal son who goes and takes his inheritance and then, right, lives it up, wastes all that money. Did you know the word is squandered? Which is the same word in the dishonest manager who squanders the property of the owner. When he comes home with his tail between his legs, his father says, 
Let's throw a party. You're home. The father doesn't say, you bad son, you wasted all that money. He says, let's throw a party. I'm so glad to see you. And the other son says, hey, dad, I've been here working my fingers to the bone, and you never throw me a party. And dad says, because all I've got is yours all the time, son. You see, what this parable of the prodigal is saying is the father cares more about relationships. The father cares more about the human being, the person, than he does about his wealth and the things he has. He loves God more than he loves his money. You see that? That's the point of the prodigal, is that the father cares more about relationships and people. But then you go to the other slice of bread on the other side of the dishonest manager, and you come to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man is the opposite of the prodigal's father because the rich man loves his money. He loves his stuff so much so that here is poor, suffering Lazarus, and he won't give him a crumb of bread. And now, as uh, after he's died, the rich man says, hey, can Lazarus go back and warn my friends and my family to, to care for others? And the answer is, is, they won't listen to the word of God. They are not going to listen to Lazarus. So you see, the rich man in that story cares about the world and mammon, but he does not love God. What does this then say to us about the dishonest manager that's right in the middle? Well, I think it's this, that the dishonest manager is at this precipice where he has to decide which way he's going to go. He's, for the first time, done a good act for these people who are poor, and he will now probably be invited to eat at their table and to stay in their home, and now he can build relationships and see what really matters is caring for people. Or this guy can go right back into his ways of conniving and cheating people for self-gain. And we are left not knowing what this manager will do as if to say to us, which are you going to choose? Are you going to build relationships and care about people, or are you going to care more about your money and your wealth and the things that you have? What will you do? Now, when it says to us, you can't serve two masters, you can't serve God and mammon, I think too often we look at this as an either-or. And it's not because the owner in our parable is a rich man and a good guy. The prodigal's father is a rich man and a good guy. They put God first. They care more about the relationships than their money, and they will use what they have for the good of others and for helping others. You know, I know there are people in this congregation 
who have lent money at times to family, friends, uh, have lent money to a stranger or a colleague, and someone else will say to you, what are you doing? You're never going to get that money back. But you give it anyway because you know that helping that person is more important than having that little bit more money in your pocket. And that's the point. Are you willing to use what you have for the sake of others and to build the kingdom of God? And so we get to this last puzzling bit where Jesus says, you know what? These children of the world, gosh, you got to love them because uh, they, are, they are so much shrewder than these God-following people. And you're like, wait a minute. Now, Jesus, come on. And here's what I think he's saying to us. If you are about accumulating money and things and a lot of it, you will do whatever it takes. You will cheat if you have to. You will swindle if you have to. Uh, you will work night and day if you have to because you want that money and you want it badly. You will do whatever it takes. And Jesus says, children of the light, followers of me, are you willing to do whatever it takes to live in the kingdom of God? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to be my follower? Do you really love God enough to, to be reckless in giving things away, to be reckless in not demanding what you're due, to be reckless in, in showering others with things when people are shaking their heads at you for your foolishness? After all, need I remind us that God paid a debt for each of us that we could never repay. You see, Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable that we are always faced with this kind of choice. Are we going to be reckless in our love of God or are we going to be careful to protect What's ours? Because in the long run, all that we have is a gift of God. All that we have is given to, to help build the kingdom of God. You can't serve both. But you can use what you have been given for the sake of building the kingdom of God for shining the light in the world, for putting God's way before others. We are called to be reckless in our love of God, in our love of neighbor. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.